In the U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings, the official magazine of the Naval Institute, Frank Koch shares this story. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all the activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, Light, bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. The lookout replied, Steady, Captain, which meant that we were on a dangerous collision course. The captain then called to the signalman, Signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change your course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advise you change your course 20 degrees. The captain replied, Send. I'm a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman. Second class, came the reply. You'd better change your course 20 degrees. By this time, the captain was furious and he spat out, Sin, I'm a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. Back came the reply, I'm a lighthouse. Change your course 20 degrees. And Koch ends the article by saying, We changed course. <laughs> Smart move, huh? <laughs> The wise sailor always adjusts his course according to the lighthouse. And it is a wise person who does just the same. We're in the midst of a series of lessons taken from the Ten Commandments. And these commandments are like lighthouses to our lives. They help us to navigate through life. They protect us in troubled waters, from dangers and pitfalls. And when we do wander, they warn us to adjust our course in life. And it's the wise person indeed who yields to the law of the lighthouse. Roman numeral 10. How God's people live. This morning, our third lesson brings us to the second commandment here in Exodus 20, verses 4-6. through six. Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. Exodus 20, we pick it up with verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now obviously this second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, builds on the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's dig into the Scripture and take a closer look at this boundary together. This second commandment again is clearly stated in verses 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Simply stated, this commandment is worshiping God purely. Worshiping God 
purely. In other words, our worship of God is to be entirely devoid of idolatry. It is to be unadulterated, undiluted, unmixed. We are to worship God with absolute fidelity and faithfulness. Our devotion to God must be completely free from any and all competition and contamination. Now it's important to note that this timeless principle is reinforced many times in the New Testament. For instance, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, warns us to flee from idolatry. 1 John 5, verse 21, tells us to keep yourselves from idols. Now let's expand on this commandment just a bit, starting with the essence of idolatry. What is the essence? What's at the core? What's at the heart of this commandment? Now once again, Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5 teaches us, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. I don't want you to miss the phrase there at the very beginning of verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Paul put it this way in Romans 1. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him, they traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in His hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. They traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them. Again, I want you to notice that phrase there. They worshipped the God they made. And so the essence of the second commandment is simply this. Don't make or worship an idol or an image, whether it's real or imagined, that represents God to you. Don't worship, don't make an idol or an image, real or imagined, that represents God to you. Whereas the first commandment, You shall have no other gods before Me dealt with the who or the what of our worship. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, deals with the how of our worship. Again, the principle is worshiping God purely. Worshiping God wholly. Worshiping God only. Worshiping God solely. There is no other to be worshipped. Here then is the essence of idolatry. We who have been created in God's image have actually tried to recreate God in our image. (laughs) By fashioning idols, again, whether real or only imagined, we have tried to reduce God down to someone that we can manage. (laughs) We've limited our concept of God. We've boxed Him in so that we can... Manage Him so that we can control Him. So that we can get our arms around Him. So He fits for us. And in doing so, we've committed spiritual adultery. We've been unfaithful and have prostituted ourselves to other gods. And by the way, God will not, He simply will not compete with anything or anyone else for our pure devotion. He Himself says in verse 5 of our text today, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now what does that mean? Well, R. Allen Cole explains, zealous might be a better translation in modern English since jealousy has acquired an exclusively bad meaning. 
It is not to be seen as intolerance, but exclusiveness. And it springs both from the uniqueness of God and the uniqueness of His relationship with His people. No husband who truly loved his wife could endure to share her with another man. No more will God share His people with a rival. Again, it's worshiping God purely. That's the essence of this second command. Which leads us then to talk about the evidence of idolatry. Now, if you've been reading through Exodus chapters 19 through 34, as we've asked everyone to do, you know that even as God was inscribing these Ten Commandments on tablets of stone to give to Moses up on Mount Sinai, what were the Israelites doing? They were violating this second command. (laughs) They were making an idol, a golden calf, and bowing down before it. In fact, turn with me in your Bibles. Would you just flip over a few chapters? Let's go to chapter 32 of Exodus. Let's just read the gist of this story a little bit. So I want us to get a picture here of what was happening and how prone we are to idolatry. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. (laughs) You're taking too long, Moses. Verse 2, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? Because the word Lord there is actually the word Jehovah. As though this represented... Jehovah, God, Yahweh. Verse 6, So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Meanwhile, (laughs) up on the mountain, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom I brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah, real quick. In fact, they haven't even gotten the written command yet. They've been verbally commanded about idolatry, but they have not got the one uh, etched in stone yet. I mean, they'd already violated it. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now before we're too quick to point our finger at the Israelites, take a step back. Because archaeology has shown us that every culture down through history has worshipped Something. Every society has had its idols. Unless we think this second commandment has no application for us today. Oh, I would never bow down to you know a little Buddha god or some kind of a little idol. You know, I wouldn't do that. Let me suggest a few of the idols that we have made, that we have fashioned, and that we worship right here in good old America. 
And I would start with images, by the way. I do believe we worship images. Deuteronomy 4, verses 16 through 18 warns against worshiping graven images. Do not sin by making for yourselves an idol in any form at all, whether man or woman, animal or bird, reptile or fish, or like it says in our text, nothing in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And yet we do make our statues, don't we? Mary worship? The Catholic Church has proclaimed her to be the co redemptress? That's idolatry. The saints, all the statues, many of our churches have them. We worship heroes, don't we, in our culture today? Heroes are huge for us here in the United States. Religious symbols can become an idol a cross, fish, angels. Even the communion table. One time, uh, I, we really upset somebody because one of our men, I'm going to upset somebody right now, sat down on the communion table in one of the churches that I was in. And we had a lady come unglued. Blasphemy! She shouted at the top of her lungs. How dare you sit on that table? Really? Looks like a table. To me, it's not the table. It's what we serve from it that makes the difference. But aren't we into this image thing? You know, whether it's good luck charms or pyramids, even crystals are a huge thing in our culture today for healing. Images. Or how about nature? We're big nature worshipers. Deuteronomy 4 verse 19 warns against worshiping anything that God has created. Do not look into the sky to worship the sun, moon, or stars. Anything again in the heavens above, on the earth below, and the waters beneath. And yet we do, don't we? I mean, what is astrology? Worship of the stars. Horoscopes? Straight from the pit of hell. This whole idea of Mother Earth and Earth Day? (laughs) Folks, that's an idol. I mean, I'm not against ecology. Please understand that. But when we began to personify this and to make a god out of this, we become tree huggers. We're in trouble. So be careful about worshiping nature. How about money? (laughs) Got to mention it, right? Jesus warned us in Luke 12, verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed... Paul put it this way, Colossians 3 and verse 5, don't be greedy, which is the same as worshiping idols. Isn't that interesting? Greed, covetousness, is idolatry. And we are so into success, stuff. I found that little illustration. I had to put that one up there from a few weeks ago. Stuff, money, I mean gadgets, card, whatever it may be. Our possessions, our things... Our status symbols are huge in America today. It's interesting with money. Sometimes I have actually had Christians say this to me. Well, I give my 10% to God. The 90% is mine to do whatever I want to with. (laughs) I look at them and I go, where did you get that idea? The 100% belongs to God. You give Him 10%, that's a discipline of tithing and giving 
But the 90% you have left over, that's not yours. You don't own that. That's just as much as God's as the 10% that you gave. Do we understand that? Or how about the idol of pleasure? (laughs) That's a huge one. 2 Timothy chapter 3 warns against worshiping pleasure. In the last days, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that's our culture today, is it not? We're so running after pleasure. It's all about having a good time. Sensuality, sex, sports, recreation, television, music, entertainment, social media, (laughs) drugs. Not just illegal drugs, but prescription drugs and over-the-counter drugs that are being abused. Pleasure. And then there's food. (laughs) Ouch. Paul speaks of people whose God is their stomach. (laughs) Philippians 3 and verse 19. And whether it's overeating or obesity on one extreme or anorexia and bulimia on the other, Masking our hurt and pain by what we eat or don't eat. We worship at the golden arches. <laughs> I mean, we even have, this is crazy, think about this. We even have food channels on television. And we have magazines that all they are about is food. <laughs> it's not about meeting our needs, our necessities. It's about indulgence. Isn't it? And then there's people. <laughs> Idols. People. When Paul and Barnabas performed a miracle in Lystra, Acts 14, verse 11 tells us the people responded, The gods have come down to us in human form. <laughs> and it got so out of hand that the crowds wanted to worship them and sacrifice to them. But Paul and Barnabas shouted in verse 15, Why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you, but it happens all the time in America today. We idolize celebrities, entertainers, athletes, movie stars, world leaders, the rich and famous. I don't know if you can name all those people up there on the screen, but I bet most of us could. We even have a magazine called People Magazine, which is, by the way, the number one selling magazine in the world today. Or how about the idol of religion? Yes, religion. In Matthew 15, verses 6-9, through Jesus uses the Jewish religious leaders as an example to warn against worshiping religion. In fact, let's read these verses out loud together. Would you read them with me? By your man-made rules, you nullify the direct command of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, these people say they honor me, but their hearts are far away. Their worship is worthless, for they teach their man-made laws instead of those from God. I mean, sometimes people are more apt to get upset about messing with their traditions than God. We we worship the form of our worship, the liturgy, if you will, the rites, the rituals, 
The music wars that go on in churches today, splitting churches because this generation wants that kind of music, that generation wants that kind of music, this other generation wants that kind of music, and they split churches in all different ways. That is idolatry. That's what it is. Religion. One more. Self. (laughs) I couldn't leave it off the list, you know. We worship self. In Ezekiel 28, verse 2, the prophet foretold, In the pride of your heart you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God. I don't know that I'd ever say it quite that way, but sometimes that's the way we are in life. Because we're so into me. Likewise, Paul prophesied in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, In the last days people will love only themselves. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God. Do we live in the last days? (laughs) I mean, we're so self-centered. It's all about self. self Self-improvement, self-confidence, self-help. What's in it for me? (laughs) Yeah, selfies. I've had to put that one up there. I thought that's such a trend. (laughs) Me. Well, we could go on and on. The evidence is obvious. The struggle with idolatry is just as real in our society as it has been in every other culture down through the centuries of time. And so the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, is God's lighthouse to us today. This second boundary, worshiping God purely, is given to help us adjust our course in life as needed. Which leads us then to draw some conclusions. Since we focused on the what in the first commandment, putting God first, I'd like to focus on the why in the second commandment, worshiping God purely. Why should we obey this commandment? Why should we heed this lighthouse law in our lives? Well, perhaps Deuteronomy 4 verses 15 and 16 sums it up best. For your own good. Don't sin by making an idol in any form at all. For your own good. God, our Creator and Designer, knows that if we idolize anyone or anything, it is going to hurt us. He gave us this boundary for a reason because He knows if we step out of bounds, we are going to bring harm to ourselves. But if we worship Him purely, it is for our own good. Back to the lighthouse again. Living within this second boundary will protect us from the pitfalls and the dangers of life. Now let me explain that from both a negative and a positive point of view. First of all, the negative, we would say don't idolize anything. That's the negative way of saying this command, right? Don't idolize anything. Now why this warning? Because of the curse that idolatry brings with it. What God said in verse 5 of today's text, did you notice that? Punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Me. There is a curse associated with idolatry. Now specifically, let me offer these three reasons why we should not idolize anything. Number one, worshiping God, idols will disappoint us. Worshiping idols will disappoint us. In Jeremiah 10, the prophet wrote, Idols did not create the heavens and earth. People who make idols are so stupid. 
They will be disappointed because their false gods are not alive. Idols are merely a joke, and when the time is right, they will be destroyed. The prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 asks, What value is an idol since man has carved it? Can it give guidance? And the implied answer is, Of course not. You see, idols always promise more than they can deliver. Let me say that again. Idols always promise more than they can deliver. Just put the word advertisement there. Isn't that true? What are advertisements? Lies. It's idolatry, trying to get you to buy something. Oh, I gotta have that. Wow, that'll make me look younger. That'll make me be slimmer. That'll make me more attractive. Yeah. And then you get it and what happens? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> and you're sorely disappointed because idols always promise more than they can deliver. Worshiping idols will disappoint us. Number two, worshiping idols will dominate us. Did you know that as you worship an idol, as you idolize something, that will tend to dominate your life? It will consume you. Let's read Psalm 115, verses 4-8 through out loud together. Read this one with me. Idols are merely things of silver and gold, shaped by human hands. They cannot talk, though they have mouths, or see, though they have eyes. They cannot hear with their ears, or smell with their noses, or feel with their hands, or walk with their feet, or utter sounds with their throats. And those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Don't miss that last phrase. That's the most important one there. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. To put it another way, whatever we worship will dominate our lives. Isn't that true? Whatever we idolize takes our time, it takes our energy, it takes our resources. We don't own an idol, an idol owns us. In today's vernacular, the word is addiction. Isn't that right? Addiction, yeah. We're all about addiction today. And what is addiction? Idolatry. It's an idol dominating your life. Number three, worshiping idols will destroy us. Ultimately, it will. Deuteronomy 8 verse 19 lays it on the line. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, you will surely be destroyed. Jeremiah 2 verse 5 sums it up this way. They worshiped worthless idols and became worthless themselves. You know, it's kind of interesting because first, we shape the idol, whether it's real or it's imagined. We shape that idol. But ultimately, that idol shapes us. It dominates us. It consumes us. Whatever we idolize will destroy us. 
So for our own good, the negative perspective on this commandment is don't idolize anything. Why? Because worshiping idols will disappoint us, dominate us, and ultimately destroy us. But there's also a positive perspective to this commandment. And that is, to turn it around and say it positively, worship God purely. Worship God purely. I didn't choose the word only on purpose, by the way. Because it didn't say enough. (laughs) Worship God purely. That just said it for me. Why are we to worship the one true God and only the true God? Because of the blessing that results from worshiping Him. Again, back to our text. Exodus 20, verse 6. Showing love to a thousand generations of those who love Me and keep My commandments. You see, worshiping God purely comes with a blessing. When we obey the law of the lighthouse, when we worship God and only God and no idol, a blessing comes our way. Again, let me offer three of those. Why we should worship God purely. Number one, Worshiping God will delight us. There's just a, I don't know, an utter delight in worshiping God alone. Psalm 37 verse 4 reminds us, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. When we avoid idolatry and worship God alone, when we live life the way that God designed for it to be lived, guess what? It works. When all else fails, no, before all else fails, read the directions. God's ultimate purpose, you see, in creating us was that we might choose of our free will to worship Him and Him alone. God's purpose in redeeming us to buy us back, to reconcile us to Himself was so that we could do what we were created to do in the first place and that is worship Him and worship Him alone. And there's delight in that. Number two, worshiping God will deliver us. (coughs) Worshiping God will deliver us. We got 4th of July decorations up. Do you notice that? (laughs) Thanks to the ladies who do that. I saw the sign Liberty down there. I mean, it's all about freedom, right? Independence Day. You will never know a freedom like you can know in Christ. Read Jesus' words with me in John chapter 8 out loud. Would you read them with me? If you are faithful, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the Son then sets you free, you are really free. Yeah, really, really free. And friend, there's nothing, absolutely nothing like the freedom and the liberty that we experience in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So many people today live in bondage and fear trying to, to you know, please the gods that they have made and that they worship. But there's something that comes about when you just don't worry about those gods that have only one God on the throne and that's the God and you worship Him. There's a freedom in that. There's a liberty in that that I cannot even explain to you. Striving to please God and God alone. Worshiping God will deliver us. Number three, worshiping God will direct us. (coughs) It will direct us. You looking for direction in your life? Looking for a... you know, where, Where do I go from here? What do I do now? Well, worshiping God will help you with that. 
In the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, verse 12, Moses actually sings of a time in Israel's history where the Lord alone was leading them and they lived without foreign gods. Now, that's not something Israel did very often. <laughs> and all we have to do is read the Old Testament accounts and we see how many times they what? They fell into idolatry, didn't they? They began to adopt the gods around them of the other countries and you know, a wicked, evil king would take the throne, and, and you know, up came the Baal, you know, altars. Up came the Asherah poles, and they were worshiping all these idols, Molech, and so on. And then a good king would come along. What would he do? <laughs> He'd tear them all down <laughs> and say, "Consecrate yourself and worship God and God alone." And then when they did that, he got back on track again. And then an evil king would come. <laughs> And they do the process all over back and forth. They just kept downward spiral, kept getting worse, till finally, you know what happened. They were led into captivity, which is exactly what God said would happen to them if they did this. And I, and I think of us in our lives. There's, there's, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, like the freedom and the liberty that we experience in a personal relationship with Jesus. And so many people are trying to live in bondage today in fear. And there's just so much freedom that comes in allowing God to direct us and give us direction in life. You will never hear God's voice if you're distracted by other gods. Again, God's a jealous God. He'll not compete with other gods in our lives. If you want to hear His voice, if you want to understand His direction for your life, then you must worship Him and worship Him alone. It's kind of back to that vest button principle remember what we talked about last week? When you're buttoning a vest or a shirt or whatever, you've got to get that first button in the right hole, right? Because if you don't, nothing else lines up. Same thing's true here. These two commandments, in fact are oftentimes looked at by the Jews as the same command. Chuck and I were talking about that before the service this morning. Actually, they look at the first command as being verse three or verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's the Shema that they repeat. The Lord... How's it go, Chuck? The Lord God, the Lord is one? Yeah. And then they look at, at, at verse 3 and verses 4 through 6, all is one commandment actually. And they are very well related, are they not? Yes. They go hand in hand with each other. And so for our own good, the positive perspective on this commandment is to worship God purely. Because worshiping God will delight us, deliver us, and direct us in life. Which brings us then to a time of decision. Roman numeral 10, how God's people... Live. This morning we've taken a closer look at the second of the Ten Commandments, worshiping God purely here in Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol. This then is your memory verse for this coming week. Last week it was you shall have no other gods before me. Remember that? This week, I'm just going to make it real simple, just the first part of verse 4. In fact, read it out loud with me, would you? You shall not make for yourself an idol. Now, we can all memorize that. So memorize that. Say it every day. Write it out on a card. Put it on your dashboard, on your refrigerator, on your mirror, wherever. And then let's all look for opportunities to discuss this commandment with others. Uh, you'll get some real interesting ones out of this one. Especially if you ask some non-believers, what do you think it means that you shall not make for yourself an idol? Interesting responses. And then learn 
and look for ways to apply this directly to your own life personally this coming week. Ask God, God, where where do I have idolatry in my life? Where am I putting things above You? (coughs) Or anyone else above You? Back to the battleship in the lighthouse one more time. What would you have thought of the captain of that battleship if he did not yield to the lighthouse? I mean, what what if he had said, see if this sounds familiar, look, I'm the captain of this vessel, I'm in control here, and I'm not about to adjust my course 20 degrees. No lighthouse is going to tell me what to do, how to navigate my ship. I'm keeping on course full speed ahead. Would we not think that guy to be a fool? Yes. I mean, we all know that we must obey the law of the lighthouse. That's not negotiable. It's for our own good. And such is this second commandment to us today.